This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, October 28th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And there's always a lot of variables at play in today's markets and a lot to talk about. So you are here for unbiased guidance, and that's what we are here to give you. I'm Justin Klein. I thank you for joining me today on Invest Talk, and I hope you will call me with your investing questions. And when and if you do make time for that call, you can shape this show to your advantage and better help you make your next step in your path towards financial freedom. Now, our anytime line is open right now at 888 chart That's 888 You can call live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, ask your question. We can talk back and forth, or you can just call after hours, leave a message, and we'll answer your question on an upcoming show. Now, let me take a few seconds to let you know that if you live anywhere in the New York area, Steve will be in your neck of the woods Next week, November 7th and 8th, Thursday and Friday. And so due to strong demand, he did add that second date. It was going to just be Thursday, November 7th. Now he added November 8th. So I do believe he has some times available. You can sit down with him for personalized sit-down consultations. You can analyze your portfolio, your situation, just really give you feedback on how to improve your path and hopefully quicken your path to financial freedom. So you can make reservations through investtalk.com. Now my main talking point today concerns the story one regular says the government will wipe out Fannie and Freddie back shareholders if needed. Apparently how this is ultimately settled with shareholders and preferred shareholders of Fannie and Freddie Mac is still up in the air. So there's a lot to talk about, and we're going to break down this story and give you some background because it doesn't just affect the shareholders and, like I said, preferred shareholders of Fannie and Freddie, but also homeowners throughout the country. How do they change the structure of these two entities, both now and current stakeholders, but also going forward in the future and how that might affect the housing market overall and lending in the housing market. Because if you can, if you pay attention to anything in the housing market, you will know that lending and borrowing matters a lot more than anything else. Right? The cost of borrowing matters more and, and the ability to borrow matters more than anything else in the housing market, at least in the near term. And so how this story evolves will be very, very interesting uh, for our housing market as a nation overall. So that's our main talking point today, but also I have other things to discuss. One is what was the was the economic slowdown globally? We know that. We know that we continue to be in a slowdown across the entire economy overall, worldwide. 
And a lot of people point to the trade war as the catalyst. And I'm going to tell you, it's not the catalyst. Maybe it's a factor, but it is, isn't the first catalyst because, which I'll talk to in a little bit, it started before the trade war started. So we're going to talk about that. Also, we know that the manufacturing industry in this country has slumped, down negative, right? The manufacturing index is below 50 PMI, and that means it's shrinking. But that is not necessarily a catalyst for a recession or a large decline in the overall GDP of the United States. Why? Because it's such a small share of the U.S. economy versus decades ago. So we're going to touch on what the specifics are around that story as well. And then lastly, if we have time, is the government going to lose or the Fed going to lose control of the short-term lending market once again? And there's an analyst that thinks so, probably near the end of the year. I think that's going to be interesting to discuss as well. Let's take take a look at the market today. We had the S&P up about half a percent. Small caps were up slightly less than 1%. Same with the NASDAQ. And the all-world index was up about half a percent. So a modest update in the overall indexes. You had big earnings out of Google after hours. That was down a little bit. Same with Beyond Meats. So it was a pretty big earnings uh, calendar at the close. So maybe that will be interesting catalyst going into tomorrow. But we're entering, entering the uh, the holiday time frame, and you know where markets are going to go compared to, or, or I think the, the catalyst for where markets are going to go has a lot to do with what the Fed is going to say this week, right? They're going to likely cut rates. Was it Wednesday, Thursday? I think it's Wednesday, and you know the Fed meeting starts tomorrow, and what they say about. Going forward, you know, the markets are at all-time highs. The S&P did hit all-time highs today. And they're going to cut in the face of that. It's pretty interesting that they're going to do that. Now, let's take a quick question from our Anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. Love the show. Hey, just wanted to get your input on gross margins declining. Do you have any data on what margins look like leading up to the past couple of recessions? And how do those compare to what current margins are for S&P 500 companies or something. Look forward to the answer on the show. Thanks. I don't have that data right in front of me, but I do know that typically margins expand throughout the expansion, right? And it t- although typically late cycle, margins tend to get squeezed. And why is that? It's typically because the labor market gets tight. Right, you have unemployment rate, 3.5%. The labor market is relatively tight. The There has actually been an acceleration in employee compensation over the past 18 months or so because of that tight labor market. And it's getting harder and higher, harder to find quality workers. You know, there's still a lot of relatively uh, underemployed people but they're probably underemployed because they're underskilled. Okay, so the skilled workers are harder to find, and therefore companies are paying those workers more and driving up the cost of those workers, and that eventually will feed into margins. And that's one of the big reasons why you're going to see 
earnings decline this quarter. There, a lot of companies are talking about that. That cost of their employees is going up. That's squeezing margins because revenue isn't really declining. It's roughly flat for the for the quarter. But earnings so far, last time I checked, we're down about three percent year over year, which is in line with um, overall expectations. You know, we're not through earnings season at all, but. You're seeing that margin compression happening because costs are rising. And typically, most of those cost increases have to do with labor and shortage of labor and the cost of labor overall. And so, yes, late cycle, most margins tend to contract some, mainly due to a tight labor supply. Thanks for the call. Great question. 888 chart 888 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's touch a little bit on our main talking point today, and that has to do with government regulators. Government regulators around Fannie and Freddie, and there was some testimony in front of Congress on what the next phase is going to be. And after the break, we're going to touch on what they said and what that ultimately could mean for these entities and thus the housing market. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. You and I both know that no one can reliably predict the next short-term market move, but that means you have to be prepared to handle volatility and balancing your portfolio to fit your risk tolerance level so you don't make rash decisions. You know, Mark goes down 5% in a month. Are you going to freak out? So you can balance your portfolio yourself or you can help have Steve or I help you do it. Your calls and inquiries are always welcome at our KP Financial Office in Irvine, California. Go to investtalk.com to reach out to us. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. The clock is ticking. And serious investors living anywhere in the New York City area will have to act quickly if they want to sit down with Steve Peasley for his no-cost portfolio review consultations. Steve will be in New York for two days, November 7th and 8th. Register now through investtalk.com. Click on Portfolio Review. Steve and Justin welcome your investing questions, and the InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open now. 888 chart 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. I encourage you to get your call in sooner rather than later. We only have 40 minutes or so left in the show, but I encourage you to get your calls in sooner rather than later. Now, our main talking point is in regards to Fannie and Freddie Mac, and there was a hearing with the House Financial Services Committee in regards to the way forward and how to restructure Fannie and Freddie to avoid what happened in the financial crisis. And back then, these entities were operating with leverage ratios of sometimes 500 to 1. For example, a normal bank should operate a commercial bank at 10 to 1 ratio. And they're at 500 to 1, which means just a fluctuation in interest rates could wipe out the equity in these entities. And all of the cash flow was typically put back into lending more and and supporting the housing market. And this is where you get problems when you have government entities with 
know, quasi-government-backed guarantees and very little oversight and very politicized goals to what they do. And that's what created a lot of the problems, right? They were lending to people that couldn't, shouldn't have received a loan in a normal market. And therefore, many of them were defaulting on them because they were just underwritten poorly. So that's what got it, these entities into trouble. And the bailout was, there, there was some wording around the bailout and basically said that Fannie and Freddie had to pay back this bailout money. And after they did, they actually you know saved them, they, they did... They were supposed to return the money to Cheryl. Suddenly, you know, once they're paid back the, all, all the money of the bailout, they were going to return to normal. Well, basically, what the government did was say, "Nah, I know we said that you can keep this these profits after you pay us back, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to we're not going to approve that. We're not going to allow that. So, you're going to have to return all profits to the treasury." And the Treasury has been making a lot of money on Fannie and Freddie for roughly five to seven years or so after returning all that money in the bailout. Well, Fannie and Freddie shareholders are saying, ah, that's illegal. You're stealing money that should be given to shareholders and private, or sorry, preferred shareholders, as well as common equity shareholders. So this is what the fight is about, is where do profits go from here? Do they continue to go to the treasury? Or do you recapitalize these institutions, right, where these profits flow to the balance sheet and to equity shareholders, and you bring them back to what they were pre-crisis, normal, profitable entities. Maybe you change the structure a little bit so they have to pay higher fees for this government guarantee, etc. And that's kind of what they're trying to do. And how this eventually settles out will be very, very important to the housing market and where credit flows within the housing market. So keep an eye on this because it has vast ramifications if they limit lending by Fannie and Freddie. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Give me a call. 888 chart This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Joe in Lexington, Kentucky. Love your show. I enjoy you guys very much. Keep it up. Just had a question about REITs. I have F-R-E-L. I've had it in my Roth IRA for the last few years. It's done really well. But looking earlier today on Yahoo, I was just kind of curious at the last recession that we had, the Vanguard REIT ETF, and I apologize, I did not have the ticker symbol for that. It fell pretty deep. You know, I've got a long-term play. I'll probably retire in 20 to 25 years. 
I intend on keeping FREL. It's about 5% of my overall portfolio. But I am attracted to the healthcare REITs for a long-term play, maybe 2% of my portfolio, 3% of my portfolio, and one stock REIT. And I was looking at medical properties, M as in mother, P as in papa, W as in whiskey. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. And have a great day. Take care. All right, now he owns FREL, which is the Fidelity REIT ETF. Basically, it owns a, a basket of, of REITs, just like the Vanguard one that he mentioned, which he didn't have the symbol, but the symbol on that one is VNQ. It's much more popular, has a, has a longer history than FREL. I'm not sure about the fee schedule and mix, etc., but clearly they're going to have a high correlation because they own each own a large basket of REITs. Now, if you go back to the financial crisis, BNQ went from about $87 a share at the peak in 07 to a low of about $20 a share. So it did go down roughly 75% over that time frame. Now, clearly, the whole fact that it was real estate related and the crisis was around real estate, certainly that had a much larger impact uh, on that index than it probably should have, right? Because REITs typically don't have that much exposure to the residential real estate market, but when lending dries up in the overall economy, anything in the real estate market overall is going to get hit more than others. It's just an industry that's reliant on leverage and borrowing. Whether you're in commercial real estate or residential real estate or industrial real estate. So do understand that that FREL is going to have a similar volatility to VNQ. However, I don't believe the next recession is going to be real estate focused. I don't think it's going to have an epicenter on the as, as the real of the real estate market like last time. That's not typically how these cycles work. Typically, the next down cycle has a catalyst that's different than the previous down cycle. So do not expect that. Now, could FREL or VNQ go down 30, 40, 50% in the next recession? Absolutely. 100% it can. So understand that level of volatility. Now, what sounds like what you're trying to do is say, okay, if REIT indexes overall have high volatility, maybe how can I diversify into other types of REITs that are more specific to a certain industry that tends to have lower volatility, and that's why you're probably looking at Medical Properties Trust, MPW is the symbol. They acquire, develop, and uh, net lease healthcare facilities across the United States. About a $9 billion market cap. Yields about 5.1%, so going to be higher than any REIT index that you're going to probably be looking at. So you're going to get a higher yield. And the assumption is that because it's in the healthcare space, you're going to get more stable rents and more stable businesses that are less cyclical. Makes sense. I like that thought process. However, if you look at the results of Medical Properties Trust, revenues are down 5% year over year last quarter. Two quarters before that is down 12% each. And last quarter, funds from operation, which is kind of like earnings, so more about cash flow and how REIT quote-unquote earnings are reported are as funds from operation. That was down 14% year over year. 
So the recent performance has not been fantastic. Their funds from operation has basically been flat for three or four years. So this is a very low growth industry. And the fact that REITs in general, interest rates have dropped, uh, you know, which is REITs are a bond proxy. That's what's driven the price of Medical Properties Trust up. Now, I like it. It's not my favorite within the industry, but I like what you're looking at. We actually recently bought a competitor of theirs, and we like that better, obviously. But it's not bad. Um, so I like what you're looking at to try to diversify, and I would certainly consider Medical Properties Trust if you're trying to reduce the volatility of your overall holdings within the REIT sector. Now, let's take a quick look at some key benchmark. Oil was down to 56.90 a barrel. Gasoline prices continue to go down, down 11 days in a row, 260 per gallon nationwide. Two-year treasury yield up to 1.65%. You're starting to see yields go up a little bit. That pushed gold down a little bit below the 1,500 per ounce level, still consolidating. Bitcoin at 9,300 per coin, up a little bit from a week ago. And if you're watching the calendar, we're only 57 days away from Christmas, less than two months away. Obviously, Walmart, Target, Best Buy, all expecting good holiday seasons. Now, on the next Invest Talk, a new survey says the U.S. business hiring has fallen to a seven-year low. Steve's going to tackle that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart From sunrise to sunset. Hi, Steve. This is Carol in Alabama. From dusk till dawn. Hey, guys. It's Carl from Philadelphia. The questions keep coming. I had a question regarding portfolio yield. From down the street, around the corner, and across the country. Big fan of the podcast from New York here. I'm calling from the Chicagoland area. From Newport, Kentucky. Invest Talk listeners have one objective. This is Frank from the Bay Area. Financial freedom. I had a question on your opinion about this Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund. How they get there and when they get there is up to them. My question today is about diversification. But Steve Peasley and Justin Klein can help improve their strategy with unbiased investing guidance. I really thank you guys for all of your knowledge and wisdom. Listen live or download the podcast, investtalk.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Russ in Chicago. Quick question on mortgage. I recently paid off all of my debts except for my mortgage, and I'm looking to pay that off as quick as I can. I've been putting about an extra $400 a month toward the principal in addition to the minimum payment. I uh, came across a strategy online that sounds very interesting, and what that entails is you pay the minimum towards your mortgage, and then you would put that extra $400 I'm paying into VTI or VTSAX total market index funds because those would even conservatively, if you figure they grow at 6%, and my mortgage is currently 3.625%, that that difference, it would be a horse race, so to speak, 
and that would would grow faster and I would be able to pay off sooner. So I would let that grow in that VTSAX or VTI until I achieved my mortgage balance and then pay that off out of there. My question is, what is your opinion and what would that look like with the long-term capital gains? Uh, would that negate it or would it make it moot? Is it just better to pay the extra money every month toward the principal? Rather lengthy question. Uh, we'll listen for my answer, and I uh, really love your guys' show. Thank you. Great question, and I've heard this question going on, geez, uh, I've been doing the show for over a decade, probably close to 15 years now, and the answer is always the same. Uh, and it's saying, yes, that strategy could work, but it's the high-risk strategy. And it's work. It, 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 if you look over the last 10 years, yeah, that absolutely is going to be better than paying down your mortgage. But it also matters what your tax rate is, right? Because when you go and sell that ETF, you're going to have to pay capital gains on that. And are you in a, if you don't make a lot of money, you're in a very low capital gains tax picture versus maybe you make a lot and you're in a high tax rate. So it, it actually matters what your income level is. So it's going to differ between individuals of what that tax impact will be. But at today's you know lofty index levels, the prospect going forward for profits in the stock market are much more muted than, say, in the past. You look at ratios like market cap to GDP levels, enterprise value to cash flow levels, earnings, etc. Markets are relatively expensive, which means expectations for profits going forward are going to be less than average. You're certainly not in the best situation from a valuation perspective long term. And then it goes back to your risk tolerance level. If you're, that's a strategy for somebody who has very high risk tolerance and is really trying to squeeze every ounce of profit that you can out of the equity markets. Steve and I are more conservative type of people. We want the guarantee. And the guarantee is when you pay down your mortgage, you're guaranteeing you're not paying interest on whatever money that is going into paying down that mortgage. Right? You're avoiding that interest. And especially if you're getting closer to retirement, you want to be completely out of that mortgage and paid off by the time you retire. So to me, nine times out of 10, I'm just paying down the mortgage. I'm reducing my cost to borrow against my home. And it gives you flexibility as well. Take money out of your equity if you need to. But in the meantime, you're not paying that interest. Now, you could invest the money today and the stock market go down 30%, go into recession. Very common. The Fed has conditioned people to believe they're always going to come in and save the world. But we know throughout history that equity markets tend to be very volatile. 
and therefore you have to be able to handle that volatility. And you don't know when you go and pay down that mortgage or you, you're ready to pay it off, right? Where the equity market's going to be at that time. So I just don't like the strategy. It's not for me. It needs to be for somebody who has very high risk tolerance and you should probably be doing it at a time when the market's more depressed than expensive. And that will give you a much higher chance of having that strategy pay off. Whereas today, there's a relatively low chance that strategy will pay off. Also depends on your time frame as well. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. You can grow your wealth in many ways. And of course, you make your investment choices and there will always be a bit of fear and greed that fits in or creeps into your judgment process. And clearly there's risk factors that you need to be aware of. And you need to be able to define the type of risk that you're comfortable with. At KP Financial, we can help you anytime when you are ready. And one way we do that is to run you through our free online risk tool at investtalk.com. It's called Riskalyze. It'll give you a score of 1 to 99. It's kind of like a speed limit. You know, The higher it is, the more comfortable you are with driving fast or, in this case, driving fast in the market. Or are you more comfortable driving slow? Safer investments. It really helps you calibrate your risk tolerance and then we can, if you, would, if you want, help you understand what risks you have in your portfolio and whether those two numbers match up. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Talk. Here's good news for listeners in the New York area. Steve Peasley is making appointments for his in-person and no-cost portfolio review consultations. Steve will be in New York City on Thursday, November 7th and Friday, November 8th. That's right. Due to strong demand, Steve has added a second date in New York. Is your portfolio performing at its full potential? Steve can show you how to get it optimized. For best times, register now and learn more at investtalk.com. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. My name's Travis from Central Florida. I started listening to you guys in May of this year, and I started investing really soon after, so I'm pretty much brand new to it. I'm invested completely in a, in a small handful of broad, diversified ETFs, and my question today is about VTI. About a month, it's been uh, dropping down to around the 146 level, then popping back up to around the 150 level. And every time it drops down to 146, I try to buy a share or two if I can afford it. I'm wondering if this is a good strategy in the in the short term. I'm planning on holding it for the long term, or if I should just uh, hold on to some cash on the side instead and wait and see if it drops down further. Thank you so much for your time and for your show, and I uh, really appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, if you're a long-term holder that's trying to just establish a, a position, and this is your way of playing the markets, you know, you don't want to buy any individual positions, you have a high risk tolerance. Remember, this is the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. So this is, you're investing in hundreds, if not thousands of different companies, and this is the ultimate index, right? You're getting as broad base of exposure to equities as you possibly can. 
right? This fund owns just about all investable U.S. stocks. So it's very domestic focused, which, you know, if you listen to some shows last week, you'll know that, you know, having some foreign exposure probably makes some sense as well. But if you're just comfortable with owning the domestic market long term, this is probably the best for you. It's low expense ratio, uh, et cetera. Now, I do think we're in more of a long-term broadening top. It's been about 20 months since uh, the high in early 2018, and but we could break out, and we could break out and be off to the races for, geez, another 10 years. Maybe the Fed will just keep the, the money printing going and, and keep the spigots going of liquidity, and certainly that continue the uh, the expansion for, for even longer, and that 140 change number might be a great place to buy. Or we go roll over into, a, into a, a protracted recession, and this could easily roll over in below $100 a share, right? So you have those two ways of thinking about the direction of VTI, just the market in general. But if you're a long-term holder, any type of decent dip, 4%, 8%, 12%, that's going to be an opportunity to buy in at a lower price and you're trying to establish a position longer term and you obviously want to do that as low as price as possible. So you might be even rooting for a rollover in the markets here. So you're kind of dollar cost averaging but more in an advantageous way based on what's happening with uh, the overall market. And so you need to decide, is this how you're going to play the markets? Is this your long-term saving strategy is just buying VTI. And if that's the case, buying on those dips makes a lot of sense. But understand, you could easily have a 30, 40, 50% drop in this ETF just like you did back in 2007 to 2009. That's not unheard of. That's not uncommon at all. Remember, VTI back then went from one about $80 a share to 33 over that period. And that would not shock me if this goes from 154 today to $50 over the next you know, five to seven years. At some point, that could happen. Not saying it's going to, but it absolutely could. It wouldn't be unprecedented for an equity index to drop that amount. So be aware of the risks. I know you're a recent listener, so you need to be aware of that. Let's go to Grace in the Bay Area looking at SNH, which is a senior housing REIT. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. I just want to know if it's been dropping. Is this a good time to jumping on this stock? And what well, are this is a, what do you think about? Yeah, so this is Senior Housing Property Trust. Yields about 6% here, but it is down pretty dramatically. And the reason is, is because it cut its dividend right from about $0.39 cents per quarter now down to 15 cents per quarter. So it dropped fairly dramatically in that, in that payout, and that's been reflected in the price. So my question is why. I, haven't, I, I remember they were having some problems. I don't remember. Do you know specifically why their dividend was cut so much? Um, no, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I know they sold some properties. They've, they've been having trouble, right? This is something that dropped from $30 a share all the way to 10 in the span of six years. And it's been a consistent downtrend when all the other, almost all the other REITs and senior housing REITs were going up. So clearly their overall company performance has been extremely poor. 
And my question is, how are they going to turn around? What were they doing wrong? And are they turning that around? So to me, this is not a bargain basement stock unless I can really understand that their business trends are going to turn around. This cut in its dividend is something that is needed to reposition the company for growth like it had in the past before 2013. So I really need to understand that story. We recently bought a, a company in the same industry, a REIT, excuse me, in the same industry, and we rather own that. Another caller called earlier about another you know, medical properties trust. Those other names are what I would be looking at in this industry. Don't look at this as a great value because they're clearly underperforming the industry, and I want to know why, and so that's why I would stay away from senior housing, was it senior housing, property trust, Look for others in the industry that are performing much, much better. You're going to get similar yield with much lower risk and better business performance. Thanks for the call, Grace. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at BGS, B&G Foods. Uh, good afternoon, Justin. Yeah, I, uh, about a month ago I bought BGS and uh, it, it showed some strength initially. Now it's uh, falling like a stone since uh, one analyst that I found uh, put out a sell signal, so how uh, serious does it look to you? And, and uh, they pay a, a pretty handsome dividend, I'm sure you're aware, and uh, is that going to be intact, do you think? Uh, but uh, what's, what's your take with BGS? Well, this is at a new low, and BGS is a packaged food company. We had gotten those for clients uh, a while ago. They sold their Pirate Booty brand to, I believe it was Hershey, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, and they're releasing their earnings on October 31st after the market closed, so Thursday afternoon, and clearly the market uh, is expecting some poor things out of that business. Uh, you know, the, the numbers still look very cheap to me. I mean, you have very uh, positive cash flow. Um, and you have a balance sheet that is leveraged, and that's the biggest worry here. But this is the this is the na- the the nature of their brand, the nature of their their business is they buy up brands and they put them in their pipeline, buy them hopefully undervalued is what their goal is, and to grow them and then eventually sell them, kind of like they did with Pirates Booty. Uh, they recently bought Jolly Green Giants. So there's a, a, a lot to, I think, like about this strategy, but it's a risky strategy, and clearly you're feeling the downside of that risky strategy. I still like the name long-term because I, I like their like their strategy. I think it works well. Um, it's not an exciting name. Um, to me, this is a name that could easily pop a lot on earnings because a lot of negativity is already built into it, and you have earnings just a few days away. So um, this is the type of name where if earnings are just honestly decent, <laughs> it could pop 20%. So I'm a hold on B&G Foods because I do like the leadership of the company long-term. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, a new survey says U.S. business hiring has fallen to a seven year low. What's going on? That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888 99 Chart. 
Hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Ross from California. I'm calling about a stock of BKTX. It's Biking Therapeutics. This was a company that had some groundbreaking research, and I kind of got caught up in it. So I invested a good chunk in it, expecting to have like a breakout. Nevertheless, though, it kind of fell back. Anyways, it still has good reviews, and I was wondering what your guys' perspective on this is. Thanks. This is Viking Therapeutics. VKTX is the simple. They develop novel therapeutics for the treatment of metabolic and endocrine disorders, including type 2 diabetes. And it did have a huge run from late 2017 when it was under a dollar a share, all the way to above $20 a share in late 2018. And since then, it's basically fallen all the way down to $6.89 at the close today. And so maybe he probably bought in the excitement of whatever news came out, right? This is a biotech company. They're often very big pops, 50, 60, 70, 80% in short periods of time on exciting news about passing the next phase in their trials, etc. Looks like most of their drugs are in phase two, not phase three. So still relatively early uh, in that process. I do like the chart overall. It, it, it has... It did break out from 2017 to 2018, like I said, for that year, and it's come back, but it hasn't dropped drastically, you know, back to that $1 level or anything like that. So I like that. I like that, you know, it's still hanging, hanging in that mid-single digits area. So technically, that looks fine. Uh, I had a nice day today. Earnings are still negative. You know, it's still burning money. There's nothing you really you can say about it fundamentally. Most of these Biotech stocks, you can say the same thing. They don't make money. They're burning money until, guess what? They get past phase three, they get approval, and suddenly it's a marketable drug that is worth often billions of dollars. This is a market of $500 million. So all they need is probably one of these to hit, and it really could go up a lot. It might be acquired by another large pharma company, and certainly a lot of companies are probably looking for drugs like this that they're trying to get approved. So it's a high-risk play, and clearly it sounds like you've been burned by this high-risk play, but often high-risk plays can burn you short-term and be great long-term. Uh, the chart is telling me some relatively good things. doesn't guarantee anything, but it's telling me relatively good things, but it's still extremely high-risk, and you know their next phase three trial of whatever could fall flat on its face, and this stock could easily go back to a dollar a share. Maybe eventually go bankrupt. Who knows? But right now, the chart is looking decent. Looks like it's trying to turn, uh, but it's still high risk. Thanks for the call. Now, we know that the IMF recently downgraded global growth for 2020, at least their forecast for growth in 2020, and they're citing trade and geopolitical tensions, You know, clearly with Hong Kong and the trade war, problems in Turkey, etc., and this slowdown, a lot of people are going to blame on those things, blame on the trade war. But if you look at the numbers, you will see that the decline actually started in late 2017, which kind of lines up with the equity markets peaking in January of 2018. So around that time frame is really when global PMI data started to roll over on a year-over-year -year basis, right, where it's slowing global growth. 
And it's only coincidentally that these trade wars started soon after that, right? June time frame. And that's about the time that a lot of these poor manufacturing numbers started to roll in. And it just goes to show you that this slowdown isn't driven by trade war. Driven more by higher interest rates. And you, know, you just go back and look at the 10-year treasury rate. Go back to a weekly chart on that. And you can see in... July of 2016, rates bottomed and hit a peak late last year. And so that drove up the cost of capital and clearly drove activity across that industry, across the globe, down, as well as an increase in oil prices, which certainly created inflation and a lot of problems for these manufacturers' cost of inputs, right? So this decline or slowdown in the economy globally is not driven by the trade war itself. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve will return tomorrow. I will be back on Thursday. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.